0: From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Plenty of education policy and politics to get to this week. We're going to talk a little bit about state revenues. We're going to talk a little bit about Common Core and immunizations. We'll set the stage for school elections next week. But I feel like uh, we need to start this week um, talking a little bit about Marlene Trump. Uh, We uh, had a chance to hear from her. About 2,000 people had a chance to hear from her this week as she uh, delivered her first uh, State of the University address.
1: Yeah, and you had, the week before, you had a sit-down with New Boise State President Dr. Marlene Trump, but it... She continues to be in the news. People continue to be super interested in who she is and how she's transitioning into this position. But let's talk a little bit about the in-depth feature profile from your sit-down conversation, and then we'll talk a little bit more about what you saw when you were on campus for the uh, Mm -hmm. State of the University address. But she's gotten a warm welcome. People are super interested. What did you learn from the sit-down, and
0: and what stands out for you, Kevin? Well, I think it's... um... I think the thing that really you take away from talking to Marlene Tromp is how her own personal story really affects the way she views the role of the university. Uh, Marlene Tromp spent most of her years, most of her growing up years in uh, Green River, Wyoming, which is a small city in Southwest Wyoming. As I point out in my profile, you could plunk green river wyoming into rural idaho yeah. and it would fit right in um it's a natural resource-based economy in this case mining uh it's conservative community i, I looked at the numbers and um i think it was like about 73 percent of voters in the county uh, supported donald trump in 2016. you know numbers that you saw in a lot of counties in rural idaho and you look at numbers in terms of educational attainment. Sweetwater County, Wyoming's a lot like a lot of counties in Idaho. Very low college attainment rates. That's where Marlene Trump grew up, and she decided to go to college. And you know, her father did attend some college, but she was the first in her gener- first in her family to graduate from college. And you, you talk to her about her experiences, how overwhelming it was to go from Green River, Wyoming to Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska, be 800 miles from home and really have to learn a lot about college life and, and campus life. Uh, she talks about how she worked two jobs when she was in college and that she had to juggle all of that to try to, to, to make ends meet during her time in college. So her story really informs the way she views Things like the 60% goal. Yeah. Like reaching out to rural Idaho and, and getting more students engaged in rural Idaho, and re- engaged in um, in college. Sure. Um, the affordability issue really resonates with her because of her own experiences as a college student. And I think, you know, as I sat down to do this story, as I sat down to talk to, to Marlene trump last week, and as I sat down to write the story this week. At first, I thought I, I didn't want to spend as much time focusing on the the controversy and the, the furor over diversity and inclusion programs at, at Boise State and I wanted to do a profile that, that got beyond that. But I think it's really hard to get beyond that because those issues are so vitally important to what Marlene Trump wants to see Boise State become and, and remain. I think she wants it to be a campus where there's a home for every student, where there's a place for every student, regardless of their, their background. Um, and I think she realizes that, you know, bringing that kind of a, a student body to Boise State, and really to all of the universities in the state, is very important to try to reach the state's 60% goal. You know, we've, we've talked often about how you have low college completion rates in the Latino community, in the Native American community, in a lot of rural counties. So you have to do something different. I think she gets it on a different plane, maybe than other university presidents because she's lived it. So I think I really found myself having to write about the, the diversity issue in the, the larger prism of how she views higher education. So the profile took a little bit of a different turn. And really an interesting thing that I found out along the way as I did the profile I reached out to Mike Moyle, the House Majority Leader, who was one of the twenty-eight lawmakers who signed that letter back in July, and I, I just wanted to ask him, well, what, what do you think of her? What do you think of Marlene Trump? Because they've her. met at this point. They they've have met down, a couple down. of times. They met at his uh, at his house in Star, um, and the first words out of her mouth, out of Mike Moyle's mouth, was, um, "She's a nice girl, <laughs> and you know she's willing to sit down and talk, and she's willing to listen, and that's great, and you know, you know, I." tried to dig a little bit deeper and asked him, well, are you going to agree to disagree at some stage of the game here um, on these issues? And he said, you know, there are some things that he still thinks that universities are doing that that he doesn't support. He wouldn't elaborate on that. He wants to kind of wait and see what happens. But here's Mike Moyle, you know, going out of his way to not criticize Marlene Trump on a personal plane, to, to really go out of his way to saying, you know, you know, look, she's she's listening. She's talking. That's that's great.
1: And Moyle, as the House Majority Leader, at least insofar as we've seen publicly over the last several years, not a guy who minces words or no, is no. superfluous
0: with his compliments and assessments of people, right? If if Mike Moyle doesn't like somebody, uh, you you get that impression pretty quickly. I mean, yeah. he does not uh, sugarcoat things very sure. much. Uh, so I think having a a president like Marlene Trump, who also is pretty candid about where she wants to see the university go and is pretty, you know, know, has pretty strong opinions herself. I think maybe, you know, there's a little bit of an understanding. I mean, two people who are willing to, you know, speak their minds sitting down and talking. Um, I asked um, Dustin Hurst from the Idaho Freedom Foundation to, you know, give me an impression of you know, a reaction to Marlene Trump as a person, and remember, the Freedom Foundation has been leading the right. charge on this issue on diversity and, and the inclusion. pushback against the diversity. the pushback, yes. yes, against what they, the rainbow graduations, the uh,
1: African American graduations, scholarships some of the co- for yeah. for Dreamers, particularly all, all, all the scholarships that. for dreamers. All, all, all of that.
0: Yeah. And bear in mind that, uh, you know, Wayne Hoffman, the president of the Freedom Foundation, had been pretty skeptical about Marlene Trump before she got here. When I asked uh, Dustin Hurst this week, he said she's a breath of fresh air and her story is really inspiring. And we hope that, you know, she's willing to start difficult conversations. And I hope that means that she's going to shake up the campus culture, really look for cost savings, uh, really preserve uh, free speech on campus. So again, you know, Folks who have lined up as adversaries to, to Marlene Trump are, are kind of going out of their way to saying, you know, you know, she's got you know, she's, there's a lot to like about her on, on a personal plane. There's a lot to admire about her. So, you know, very interesting reaction. And and sometimes in a profile, you, you don't just necessarily want to go to people who are gonna who you know are gonna say, you know, nice things about somebody, but to go to talk to people who you know have had a difference of opinion and you know to get those kind of reactions to get those kind of uh, first impressions I, I thought was really telling you know and as for wednesday you know the state of the university address was was kind of a love fest as you would expect i, I think the university community is really enthusiastic about marlene trump that came through uh, almost a full house at the morrison center very enthusiastic and you know a lot of you know Yeah, I talked about it in the profile as kind of the infatuation phase. Uh, The university community is really infatuated with Marlene Trump. She is, you know, really, uh, you know, impressed with what's happened at Boise State so far. Uh, She's really excited to be there. She talks about uh, what the university has done, how the university has innovated, and how the the university has grown. I mean, she wants to keep going and building on that momentum, but, you know... Yeah, a very, very uh, you know, very enthusiastic uh, reception that you got on Wednesday. Oh, I think that's fair
1: for sure. I mean, I've been watching over the last two weeks as the university gets ready for the new school year and faculty going back and students arrive. Uh, there's a degree of... People are awestruck, starstruck. It's almost like, I don't mean to be silly here, but it's almost like one of the Beatles is the new university president at Boise State. And I think looking back to that failed presidential search the year before they hired her, I think that's what people were looking for. And I think someone that they can be excited about, someone who's part of a new generation that can lead the university forward and sort of capitalize on all the momentum and accomplishments under past president Bob Kustra Um, But just looking at at some of the reaction, particularly from the faculty, just thrilled uh, that she's there and thrilled uh, about her message. And I think some of that is how generous she is with herself and sharing her own story. But I think some of that is how savvy she is with social media and approaching Mm -hmm. people. But talking about... Well, her well, as we a were... person, not her, not the president as an institution, but her as a person, a, a real dynamic person with complicated
0: thoughts and a story of her own. Well, well, yeah, I mean, I noticed it on Twitter this morning, and, and Marlene Trump spends a good deal of time oh, on yeah. Twitter. Um, you, know, you kind of get a good sense of what she's up to just by watching her Twitter feed. She was out this morning helping students move on, into dorms <laughs> yeah. on Friday, and I, I'm not going to name names here, but I'm having a hard time seeing – past university presidents in idaho doing that that's but i think that's i think i did see scott green doing a little
1: bit of that at university of idaho earlier this week actually interviewing a lot of students and talking to them and and introducing himself as they were you know coming in with their backpacks and
0: all their gear uh
1: so he was active on campus as well but dr trump in particular i
0: i I think both both green and trump are are really you know they have a very engaging way uh, about them and, and real enthusiasm about their respective universities. And I mean, with, with green as an alum, I mean, there's that yeah. homecoming w- with, with, with Marlene Trump, it's not a homecoming necessarily, but when I talked to her, she said, I feel like I'm in a place where I can help kids who are a lot like the kids I grew up with in green river, Wyoming. So while it's not a homecoming per se, I think it's a, yeah, I think she sees it as an opportunity uh, you know, a, a chance to, to, kinda, you know, you know, to kind of, you know, to kind of, you know, pay back some of the things that uh, she got along the way as, as a college student, as a first-generation college graduate.
1: Yeah. I wanted to ask you about one of the lines from her university address, I think it was on Wednesday, that you pointed out and some other people have noticed. And I'm going to paraphrase just slightly, but she talked about universities being the bringers of light. What was the context of that remark? What was she saying, and how was it received? Do you think?
0: Well, she came right out of the gate talking about free speech and free expression and the political environment, and yeah, she brought up the the whole controversy over over the diversity programs and very passionately speaks about we're in this politically volatile time. It's difficult even to speak out. It's an act of bravery to speak out when words are are weaponized. But she said, universities have an opportunity to be a place where difficult conversations can take place, where minority views, underrepresented views can be heard and can have a place. Uh, That bringers of light quote, I think it was a bow to inclusion But I think it's also a bow to kind of intellectual inclusion. I think she wants a campus environment where everybody feels welcome and everybody feels welcome to speak their piece. And and she drove that point home a few minutes later when she said, I don't want any student to walk on this campus and feel like they can't speak their minds. And she got a a big round of applause for that. I mean, you know, know, we are at a time where free speech on campus is a big issue and it's been a complicated issue on a lot of campuses uh, so for, for 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 Marlene Trump to speak as forcefully about that and to kind of, kind of lean into what she sees as the role of a university to not just accept free speech and accept dissenting opinions, but to embrace it and to you know, encourage it and to celebrate it. I, I thought it was a very powerful message. And I think a very powerful message, especially in light of some of the, uh, the backlash that we've heard over the past few weeks. I mean, you know, again, when I talked to Mike Moyle on, on Tuesday night, he said, you know, one of the things you guys, are, you guys in the media are, are you know, maybe not catching in our letter is that we really do want diversity on campus. We, we, we see a different way of getting there. Well, I think I, you know, I, I, I think, you know, what you heard from Marlene Trump was, you know, a message that she really wants diversity, not just in terms of the student body, but a diversity of opinion, diversity of expression, diversity of ideas, um, and I think she ties that all together, and I think that does all tie together.
1: Yeah, really interesting stuff. If you want to know more. Uh, about her. If you want to read the profile, which I definitely would recommend, it's definitely worth your time, head over to the homepage, idahoednews.org. You have coverage from uh, the university address. You have the profile. Uh, You had a piece last week. But I think that Marlene Trump has answered a lot of questions for people who maybe saw that letter in July from Representative Barbara Ehart and the 27 other House members and wondered, okay, how is the new university president gonna approach this? How is she gonna play this? Is she gonna stay quiet or is she gonna stand up and and take things on herself? And, and I think she's answered those questions. It, she's been very active touring the state, meeting with people, meeting with the people who wrote that letter, um, soaking in as much as she can uh, in the first, I think she started basically July 1st mm-hmm. so nearly nearly two months at this point. Um, but really active and engaging and taking things
0: on rather than sitting back and letting things, reacting to things or having things fall in Exactly, exactly. I mean, one of the things I said in the profile was that the way she responded to this controversy really says a lot about her. Yeah. You know, she... She didn't lash out in the media. I mean, I, I think some in the media were wondering where, where was she through most of July and most of August. Um, she because, was meeting people and touring hey, exactly. the they're, state it, and bingo, learning about her job, go, right. getting out there and connecting with people and building relationships. She did not engage in a war of words in the media, which would have been a really dangerous ploy uh, for a new university president. Nor did she hunker down. I mean, she was out in the field. She was out meeting legislators on their home turf, uh, trying to understand their concerns. So I think the way she responded to it, you know, hearing people out while at the same time adhering to her core beliefs, I I think that tells you a lot about the kind of president uh, she's going to be. She does not mince words. She's not going to be patient. She wants things to happen. She uh, She wants progress and change and... You know growth at the university. But she's going to listen to where everybody is coming from. And and that was something I heard over and over as I did the profile. All right. I That's
1: not the last we'll hear from Dr. Oh, no, no, no.
0: Marlene Trump. We'll continue to follow her. Like I said, head to
1: IdahoEdNews.org if you missed the profile or missed the report from her uh, university address. But we will continue to follow her. Higher Ed continues to be a big part
0: of of what we do and what we track, and and that's not going to change. No, let's shift gears. You were at another one of the uh, K twelve Task Force subcommittee meetings, and some interesting news emerged from uh, from this subcommittee, and potentially a uh, fairly costly idea emerging from this uh, from this subcommittee.
1: Yeah, as we talked the last two weeks, the K twelve Education Task Force is and their subcommittees, after spending the first part of the summer kind of reviewing data, reviewing state law, really made progress over the last two weeks st- to start putting together what could become some initial proposals and recommendations. It's important to note that none of these are final ra- right now. None of these have gone to the full task force. None of them are even have a lot of specifics attached, but uh, I think it was Monday morning, I want to say, I was out at the... Um, The Rural Schools uh, Subcommittee, the Rural Schools Subtask Force Group. And they're starting to put together a recommendation to call for all-day kindergarten. Mm -hmm. That's not super surprising, given that Governor Brad Little has made early literacy one of the two focal points for that task force. Kind of looking at both ends of the educational spectrum, early literacy in grades K through 3, followed at the other end by college and career readiness. And as Idaho Ed News has reported earlier this summer, All-day kindergarten is already taking off and gaining traction Uh, thanks to Governor Little doubling funding for the literacy initiatives. I think several Treasure Valley districts, uh, Nampa, Caldwell, Valley View, uh, Mm -hmm. are transitioning right now to tuition-free all-day kindergarten. Uh, This task force may double down on that, may call for statewide all-day kindergarten. And it's important to know right now, as state law is written, number one, kindergarten is optional. In Idaho, Uh, school districts don't have to offer it. Parents don't have to send their children. And uh, the state only pays for half day kindergarten right now. So, this would be a serious recommendation um, with a cost. And we can get into the cost aspect about it because uh, you followed that issue this week. But groups have estimated maybe $52, $58 million to go to all day kindergarten. And some of the things that you don't think about with offering half day uh, facility space. Uh, It could be an issue for a lot of school districts um, and teaching staff. Uh, Mm -hmm. Busing could be part of it, but Mm -hmm. facility space and teaching staffs in particular, staffing, as you know, as we all know, is is the largest expense for school districts. And so it could be a significant recommendation with a significant cost. Um, It's still being developed, so we'll see where it goes and if this does, in fact, come forward. But a lot of people are talking about all-day kindergarten, especially... As the state and its policymakers focus on this literacy literacy initiative, right, Kevin?
0: Right. It seems to be the one area of expansion that has some pretty widespread support. I mean, legislators seem to be comfortable with it. School districts seem to be uh, comfortable with with expanding to all day kindergarten, especially uh, when they can use uh, state literacy money to to make it happen. You know, while pre K remains. Uh, a controversial issue, almost like a third rail issue in, in education for a lot of folks.
1: Nothing is moving forward seriously and, and with critical mass for little, pre-K.
0: And there's been very little progress at the Statehouse on on the pre-K issue. There's a lot of support behind all-day kindergarten. And maybe the biggest uh, impediment to all-day kindergarten is, uh, as you mentioned, it, it costs. I mean, yeah. you've you got to have space, you've got to have staff, you've you got to have the infrastructure to support an all-day kindergarten. But I think as far as the political support, uh, it's certainly there. So not really a surprise that the the task force's subcommittee is focusing in on all-day kindergarten. Uh, we'll see how the full, full task force looks at that in the next few weeks. But, uh, you know, the big question is, you know, can the state afford to make this move at this time?
1: And, and that's where I wanted to go next, because if the task force does fully get behind the all-day kindergarten proposal... We could, in fact, because it's his task force, see Governor Little go before the legislature and call for all-day kindergarten. I've touched on this a little bit. You explored this issue as well. Um, but revenues are starting to be more and more of a concern. There's more and more talk about the potential for an economic slowdown over the next three years. Uh, but you tracked some news about the concern over revenues as at a time right
0: now where we're just starting to look at those next year's budgets, right? Right, so so let's backtrack to last Friday. Yep. The the latest uh, state revenue numbers came in, and revenue collections, revenue projected revenue collections for this current budget year, are expected to be about ninety six million dollars less than originally forecast. So ninety six million dollars less than what legislators expected to see rolled in during this year. That does not put the state in the red. Uh, the state still has uh, what would project out to be an ending balance of about $50 million, but that's not nearly as much as legislators were hoping for uh, or expecting. And that's all one-time money, so we don't really, in the state of Idaho, build budgets around
1: ending balances because we look at continuing revenue sources not one time.
0: But it's the cushion in case the economy does slow down or in case there is something unexpected, you know, something catastrophic. That's the cushion that allows you to continue to, you know, You know, cover ongoing expenses. So, uh, Governor Little earlier this week, and and Keith Keith Riddler from the Associated Press was the first one on this story. Uh, Governor Little sent a letter to state agencies saying, "Look, I kind of want a bare bones budget recommendation from you from you all, and I want you to list a couple or three items that we could cut if we had to cut." So, he's sending a message of uh, he's kind of sounding the alarm that. You know, revenue may be tighter than expected. It may not be a full-on emergency at this point, but let's have some contingencies and let's not uh, overspend. That news broke on Tuesday. And that same evening, I was at Meridian listening to a town hall meeting. Uh, House Republican leadership uh, was in Meridian. uh, And taxes were a dominant theme. They didn't talk much about education. Taxes were a dominant theme. Uh, House Speaker Scott Bedke talked about the revenue projections and said, you know, this, this does put a damper on what we can do this current budget year, and it could put a damper on what we spend in the upcoming budget year. Now, he didn't mention education by name, but he may as well have, because when you see what's been talked about, From the the task force so far, all day kindergarten. That's going to cost money. That could cost $50 million. Building out the career ladder salary to pay out $60,000, that's going to cost money. That could cost
1: tens of millions of dollars. Investing in PISIF, the rainy day savings account,
0: bolstering that up, could cost money. And we just spent it down by, I think, north of $30 million. as you reported a couple of weeks ago. And if you try to do something with the school funding formula and you try to build some cushions into the school budgets to kind of smooth out the transition to a new funding formula, that could cost you tens of millions of dollars, none of which the state really uh, necessarily is going to have. So this could be a very tight budget year. How tight a budget year? When the topic of the grocery tax came up and the repeal of the grocery tax came up, uh, John Vanderwoude, a lawmaker from Nampa, conservative Republican, said, I've wanted to do this for several years. I just don't think we can do it. You know, when you've got a conservative lawmaker heading into an election year saying, I don't think we can afford this tax relief that we've wanted for years that Governor Little also wants. I said he wants. That is very telling. And it all kind of goes back to those dwindling revenues and that dwindling reserve. Because last year, well, it feels like last year, but it was only in January. Right. It's been a long year, guys. But at the beginning of the 2019 legislative session— uh, Governor Little told legislators, look, I don't want to repeal the grocery tax this year. I want us to build up our reserve so we have a cushion, we have money, and let's attack the grocery tax in 2020. Well, that may not happen. Right. And, and they may not be able to afford that. So you've got a lot of competition for what could be a very limited stream of dollars uh, between, you know tax relief or education initiatives or transportation or the cost of uh, Medicaid expansion. Uh, a lot of- Corrections, the they're talking Directions about more and more? Always a, 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 you know, a stress on the budget. It, it, wow, it could be a very, very interesting legislative session because there are a lot of demands and not a lot of dollars to go around. And that was my takeaway from, from the town hall meeting on Tuesday. So while there was no direct mention of education, if, if you're interested in education initiatives and you're interested in what happens with some of these recommendations from the task force, you know, pretty strong signal that uh, it could be a, a tough go to fund any new initiative in education or really any place else. Yeah.
1: And obviously the reason that it ties together is because revenues uh, are part of the budget equation and taxes are a big driver. Uh, of state revenues. And so if you cut or eliminate or reduce the grocery tax, you have less revenue coming in to pay for these initiatives. Right. The so it's million, gets, million dollar hit. Yeah. You, the pie you, gets you, smaller in legislative lingo. Exactly. Um, we'll continue to watch that. It's about reason number 75 why we think the 2020 legislative session is
0: going to be interesting and important and, for us to watch and We'll be there closely. from start to finish. And, and yes, on education, on tax, on budget issues, uh, it could be a... Could be a very newsy legislative session.
1: All right. Um, let's run through our other top story of the week, looking at administrative rules. Always sounds a little bit dry and insidery, but it's so important. Um, but let's talk about academic standards and immunizations
0: and, and what you learned this week. Okay. So so this week, uh, the State Board of Education hit the road, uh, held uh, three hearings across the state looking at academic standards, i.e. Common Core. Yep. Uh, Our semi-edge was at the hearing in Nampa on Monday night, and there was kind of a mix. A lot of educators showed up, urging the State Board to keep the standards in place, uh, saying the Common Core is working, it is bringing rigor into the classrooms, and let's let's stay the course, we worked on this uh, as an education community, let's keep it. Uh, Some speakers urged the State Board to drop Common Core. The Idaho Freedom Foundation, which has made this uh, a big talking point, showed up urging the board to uh, repeal Common Core. Uh, Twin Falls hearing on Wednesday. Uh, educators again spoke in favor of keeping the standards in place. Uh, a few opponents uh, also spoke. Um, interesting, Lance Cloud, the uh, you know, chairman of the uh, House Education Committee. We spoke from to our Twin friends Falls. at the Twin Falls Times News. Right. He was there to observe and he told uh, reporter with the Times News uh, Ryan Blake that... Uh, yeah, you know, Yeah, you know, that, that he—he's not sure he really sees a whole lot of problems with the standards. So that—that that process members will of his continue. committee do though. Oh, so yes. this will be interesting. It, it, it will be an interesting uh, process because it will eventually—the the last word will eventually go to the education yep. committees, uh, the House and the Senate education committees. But first things first. Idaho Falls hearing is coming up on Tuesday night. Uh, our Devin Bodkin will be there for that. Uh, after that, the State Board of Education takes a look at the rule. They can decide whether to keep it as is, uh, delete parts of it, you know, delete the entire thing. I guess they could do that, but I don't see that happening. Then the legislature gets the final word come January. That's one of the big rules, processes that we're watching. The other one, health and welfare, is going through some hearings. Uh, those started on Thursday. Uh, Melissa Davilin from Idaho Reports was there and said, no surprise, that Of the 23 people who showed up for a hearing on health and welfare rules, 22 had something to say about immunizations. Uh, 14 of them said uh, they want to get rid of or they want to uh, relax uh, state regulations on immunizations. Eight uh, speakers said, let's keep the uh, rules that we have in place. That process is going to continue. You've got hearings going on uh, across the state through next week, so we'll keep an eye on what goes on Always there. Always interesting because the state
1: does have provisions to allow families and students to opt out of immunizations. That's Those places are already, processes are already in place. You've reported on that, but it's also— It's not a mandate.
0: I keep saying that in, in reporting, and I you know, refuse to talk about immunization mandates in, in our coverage because they aren't, because a, a parent can yep. turn in a, a one-page note, not even a form anymore, just a one-page note saying— uh, I'm not going to have my kid immunized, and that's uh, that's all it takes. You've tracked. So you've got the opt-out yeah. rates in in our in our state are close to eight percent. They are among the highest in the nation. Uh, may turn out to be the highest in the nation uh, come next year, uh, because Oregon, which also has had high opt-out rates, is looking at uh, you know, and I think they already did it, uh, repealing some of the opt-out language, making it more difficult for parents to opt out. So, And this goes on
1: at a time when we see
0: outbreaks this spring um, of diseases that we have vaccines available yes, for. Yes, yes. I mean, um, this is... So,
1: so. so, you
0: know, again, the legislature will get the last word on this. Um, that'll also come up in January. You know, and we saw legislation last year to try to uh, make it even, you know, to encourage uh, make it easier for parents to to opt out. Uh, provide more information to parents about their 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 prerogative to to opt their their kids out of immunization. So this is a hot issue at the legislature. The process is beginning with hearings with health and welfare. We'll, we'll track that through through next week, which yep. sets the stage. It's going to be a busy week for us.
1: Next week's a, a, another busy week. You're tracking a handful of bond and levy elections as well as a high profile a potential trustee recall. This is going to be going down on Tuesday night, right? Yeah,
0: we've got the, the rundown of what's uh, coming up in Tuesday's elections. You can see that at idoednews.org. By the numbers here, you've got eight school districts around the state with about $172 million worth of bond issues and levies. Uh, Lakeland has the, the biggest of the group. It's a $70 million bond issue. Bonneville has a big one, uh, $42.7 million, I want to say. Also, in Middleton, uh, three of the five trustees are on the ballot facing a recall. They've been on opposite sides of issues. Now voters get to get to weigh in. So we'll have all of those election results on Wednesday. So we'll, we'll get you caught up with what happened across the state. We'll keep an eye on the rules process. Uh, state Board of Education is meeting in Pocatello next week. Yep. Uh, we'll have coverage of that. So a lot to look, uh, look ahead to next week.
1: Yeah, lots of lots to get through between now and your Labor Day weekend. Uh, another busy week on tap next week. And then as we get closer and closer to the 2020 legislative session uh, and the end of the task force, it'll really get busy. Mm-hmm. So uh, hold on. We'll try to keep everybody informed, try our best to keep track of it and cover the big meetings, track down the big issues, let you know uh, who the players are involved with each of these decisions and dynamics.
0: But uh, it never slows down, does it? No, it, it's... It's been the summer that wasn't because it just feels like it's been kind of, uh, you know, one big story on top of another. And now we head into the fall. All right. From me, you can look for a uh, profile on Bill Gilbert, the Boise B-
1: businessman who's co chair of Governor Brad Little's K 12 Education Task Force. That's the uh, uh, Our Future, Future, Idaho's Kids, Our Future Task Force. Uh, yeah. Sat down with him, talked with some of the other people. From the task force and the governor's office, I think that'll
0: be uh, an interesting yeah, piece. Somebody you may not have heard of, but somebody who's wielding a lot of influence and, and clout on education topics. So look I'm for that middle to of next week. Better through your profile.
1: All right. As always, if you're on Twitter, you can give us a follow at Idaho Ed News. That's where we post our big stories and live tweet the biggest meetings and debates. Uh, but thanks so much for listening again to this episode of Extra Credit. Kevin and I always have a lot of fun breaking down this complicated, sometimes controversial intersection education politics education policy as always thanks so much i'm clark i'm kevin have a good week